it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. I hope you had a great July 4th. You weren't uh, Katy Perry getting all bummed out about it or ESPN deciding it's not worthy of your time or NPR. Uh, I hope you had a great time. Uh, today, I know there's going to be a Medal of Honor recipients given for the Vietnam era. Uh, so that'll be good in the White House. That's a positive. Uh, and it's good to be fully into summer now. No one could say it's not quite summer yet. We are into summer. Bottom of the hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are going to be people who say that today is not the day that now is not the time to talk about guns. I'm telling you, there is no better day and no better time than right here and right now. You idiot. Governor J.B. Pritzker, who always sees his ambition in politics, we just passed gun legislation. This guy had a legal gun. You got high, you have uh, restrictive gun laws in Illinois. What else do you want? Another mass killer grab, but uh, not after killing not before killing five wounded, of uh, killing six and wounding dozens. Of course, the governor of Illinois blames guns, and the president's message includes go vote, politics at any cost. Number two. Today we are updating an NPR Independence Day tradition, the reading of the Declaration of Independence. So on this July 4th, we hear some of the ways Americans have used the Declaration since 1776. America's 246th birthday trashed by many, from ESPN to the city of Orlando to NPR to some bad singers. Not by us. We'll let you hear from the critics, and I'll let you know why they are wrong. Number one. The American economy is incredibly strong. I mean, we're still at 3.6 unemployment uh, under President Biden's leadership now. In just the first year, 9 million more jobs were added. Uh, That is not an economy that's in a recession. Right. I guess John Kirby doesn't pay for his gas. Joe talks economy and the backlash is wide, even from allies. First and foremost, America's Jeff Bezos as big firms brace for recession. This as Wonderboy Pete Buttigieg feeling the Democratic wrath as thousands of flights delayed and canceled. And he does nothing except for give us strategies to get our money back instead of points. And I'm talking about Bernie Sanders and Ro Kahana, liberal, liberal socialist, calling out the Wonderboy who's ridiculously ineffective. So first off, what John Kirby said. So the President of the United States makes some news over the weekend by taking some time and tweeting out something that talks about how great the economy is. And if you think the economy is bad, it's really our fault. And for the oil and gas to be this high, it's definitely not his fault. In fact, Gas prices right now $4.80. One year ago, they were $3.13 for diesel, which is why we get stuff is kind of inflated because diesel is what you use fuels to fuel trucks for the most part. Five seventy three dollars a year ago is three twenty four. dollars let alone jet fuel, how much it costs. So, you know, the price has gone down $0.20 cents from the last month. Five bucks, though, uh, it was at five bucks about in May, but up from $1.67 last year. So here's what President... Biden tweets out, 
My message to companies running gas stations and, se- and setting prices at the pump is simple. This is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you are paying for the product and do it now. First off, we're not in a war. That is an insult to people at war. Insult to generations who went to war. We are financing Ukraine's war against the evil Russians. That is admirable. It's the right thing to do. But we're not in a time of peril. Pandemic is a time of peril. We are out of the pandemic phase. We are getting hit with variants. That is not peril. You're overstating it. And to blame gas station owners and oil and gas companies when you don't even take the time to visit with them to find out about an industry you know dangerously little from invites backlash. But not from the Tom Cotton's expected. Not from Joe, uh, Donald Trump. You should uh, you should be you can set your watch by it. What about Democrats? So Jeff Bezos reads this tweet and says. Biden uh, blaming high gas prices for companies. Ouch. Inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep state making statements like this. It's either straight out misdirection or deep misunderstanding of the basic market dynamics. That is a killer because it's from Jeff Bezos, who owns The Washington Post, who spends a lifetime just covering four people like Joe Biden, who declared the Hunter Biden laptop was um, misinformation and not authentic and a Russian plot. Remember, that allowed him to get elected. But if you look at the billionaires, Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, and Elon Musk have all taken devastating risks and losses since Joe Biden took over. A combined $1.4 trillion. Zuckerberg has lost $65.5 billion. Bezos, $63 billion. And Musk, $62 billion. Don't cry for them and their bank accounts, but it just shows you the direction of their company. How do you expand these behemoth companies and hire more people, more managers, more entry-level people, more interns if you keep doing things that are going to hurt the economy? Because oil and gas are at the basis of almost all of it. So the Energy Information Administration said last week the U.S. oil oil output was 12.1 million barrels a day during the week of June 29th, the most since April of 2020. What do you mean they're slowing down prices for windfall profits? Natural gas prices up 60% before falling back to 3.9%, a little bit lower, but they're still high. Oil was $120 a barrel. Now it's 106 The average gas has dropped about 20 cents, but you cannot disallow drilling in, uh, drilling in, uh, in, in the ocean water in the Gulf of Mexico or anywhere. You cannot allow, make federal drilling almost impossible and vilify the oil and gas industry, encourage big banks and big institutions to not bring that into the portfolio, to not invest in it. At the same time, demand that they drill more. Why should they do that? Some of the responses have been flat out hysterical from what they've said after. Um, he says we are, are. He says our economy is growing during the fourth quarter in his July message. There is not growing, which you do have a good jobs numbers, but that's going to begin to go away as people begin to realize they can't keep these jobs at the current rate. Here's more. Here's the complete sentence from John Kirby taken on Jeff Bezos. Cut one. Anybody that knows President Biden knows he's plain spoken and he tells you exactly what he's thinking and in, in, in terms that everybody can understand. So I think we obviously take great exception at the idea that this is somehow misdirection. The president is speaking honestly with the, uh, honestly with the American people uh, about the, uh, what he's trying to do to bring the prices down. But he was honest even before the invasion, Mike, about the fact that it would not be cost free. 
by continuing to say this is Russia's fault. You're making Russia stronger in the eyes of their people and in the East. And do you realize there's a growing sentiment in this country that Ukraine's not doing well. We want to stop financing it. And by continuing to say that this war is costing Mr. and Mrs. Jones everything, more in everything that they buy and every gallon that they use, that is going to grow sentiment to lose support for a war, I believe, and I imagine you believe, Mr. President, is absolutely necessary. You should be able to figure this out. You've been doing the same job for 50 years. And for those people who think that Joe Biden's onto something, that maybe there's not going to be a recession, the economy is doing great. Jamie Dylan, Elon Musk, Larry Summers, Charlie Straff of Wells Fargo, the CEO, Zuckerberg, Facebook CEO, Norel Rubani, an esteemed economist, Mark Summers, the CEO of the American Petroleum Institute, all are business leaders who are raising red flags for a recession. So you could be a cheerleader and you could be a blamer, but it's not working for the people, and I think you're going to pay the price for it. Here's Jeff Mason of Reuters, cut seven. They'll keep repeating what the, from that clip that you just played, that the, the state of the U.S. economy is, is quite strong. The problem politically uh, for this president is that people don't feel that way. Unemployment may be very low, but inflation is very high. And so when Americans go to the gas pump, when they go to the stores, uh, when they go online to buy things, they're feeling the, the pinch of that high inflation. Um, and so that, that's a political problem and an economic problem for this president. But the truth is, when he says the economy is strong, it is strong. Uh, it, it's just that there are these, these headwinds and, and this inflation problem that is, that is felt very, very deeply by American consumers. Yeah, it's strong compared to what? It's strong on some elements of it. But if you're in the stock market, if you're paying for gas and you want to buy food, it's not strong. What happens is because jobs, we have 11 million open jobs, 7 million people looking for jobs, and unemployment insurance is down, you're getting more money. So you're getting a pay increase, and you feel better about it. But when you see that our inflation rate basically leads all Western nations at 8.4%, don't turn around and say, I know whose fault it is, and it's not yours. So um, I, I agree. I just don't think he knows what he's doing when it comes to the economy. When we come back, I want to go over – actually, I want to keep it here for a second. The anti-American idiots continue to drive me nuts. NPR over the weekend announced it was breaking its own standing Fourth of July tradition of reading the Declaration of Independence uh, out loud. To instead, they would spend their time talking about what equality means. For the past 33 years in NPR's Morning Edition, that's what they did. But now they feel differently because of Roe v. Wade, which for the last time, Roe v. Wade was kicked to the states to make a decision. Twenty-six states, Mr. President, sued to overturn Roe v. Wade, and you'll use the Dobbs decision to do it. Twenty-six states. So when you come out and make statements that everybody talks about, that everybody's upset by the irresponsible way the Supreme Court is acting, you are in a party of half the country— not the whole. You never don't even take account for the fact that Roe v. Wade, a lot of people are happy that it was overturned. Now, the polls say the majority wanted to stay in place, but they also say the majority does that they should stay in place, but not to be 24 weeks, maybe knock it down to 16 weeks. That's what John Roberts was maybe recommending. That was the key. One of his statements drives me the most crazy. President Biden says, I share the public outrage that this extremist court that is committed to move is committed to moving America backwards. 
but ultimately Congress is going to have to act to codify Roe v. Wade. Yeah, let Congress do its job. Let them debate it on the on the on the Capitol steps. Whatever it needs, whatever they need to do, but that'll be how it's decided. For you using this type of rhetoric in Madrid and bringing it back home, using your opportunity after another shooting to bring up guns, not the crazy 22-year-old who was in his parents' basement getting neck tattoos and face tattoos, cutting videos that show that he worshipped Lee Harvey Oswald and was putting together his own school shooting event. That was in a music video. And I'm talking about the shooting in Highland Park, a rich area, a beautiful parade interrupted by a sniper who's finally arrested. And at 22 years old, we're going to find out that this guy was a red a walking red flag that should have been arrested like the Buffalo shooter, like the Uvalde shooter, like Sandy Hook. Everybody knows they're crazy and dangerous, but no one does anything. 1-866-408-7669. How'd you celebrate the 4th? Do you feel that anti-American sentiment, or do you believe like I believe? I think we're turning the corner on this. Things have gotten so bad that Jeff Bezos and Bill Maher are sounding like Mark Levin and Sean Hannity. That tells me progress is being made. Don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Our economy is growing, but not without pain. Liberty is under assault, assault both here and abroad. In recent days, there's been reason to think that this country is moving backward, that freedom is being reduced, that rights we assumed were protected are no longer. A reminder that we remain in an ongoing battle for the soul of America. And he wants you to vote. And here's the thing. They're not a soul. The, the, part, the power of Roe v. Wade returned to the states. And 26 states did not want to fi- uh, finance abortion or support it. They had reduced it in certain ways. And now uh, 26 states are happy. 24 aren't. But the president of the United States thinks everybody thinks like him, which it goes to show you. I, I never thought he was a bipartisan guy. They keep saying he's a moderate. He's more moderate than Bernie Sanders, no doubt about it. Here's so between that statement, between the president uh, putting Roe v. Wade in the middle of Independence Day, and then you had Orlando, the city of Orlando, come out and say the stupidest things. I mean, the anti-Americanism. I couldn't like go look at any website without seeing something that denigrated our country. And they're not coming from the United Arab Emirates or someplace like that. They're they're coming they're coming to us from the inside. I mean, I could not believe the city of Orlando would have a problem with the United States of America, considering they're doing deals uh, right now in China. And they know how difficult China is. 
Here it is. There is the city of Orlando uh, said this. The city of Orlando sincerely regret. Okay, here's the, the original statement. A lot of people probably don't want to celebrate our nation right now, and we can't blame them. When there is so much division, hate, and unrest, why on earth would you want to have a party celebrating any of it? But come on down anyway. Immediately, the backlash was was loud and vociferous, and it came even from the governor, who's basically had it with Orlando because Disney owns it. The city of Orlando sincerely regrets the negative impact our words have had on some of our in our community. We understand these words offended some of our residents, which was not our intent. We value the freedom we have in this country and are thankful to those men and women who fight to continue for that. Mike Waltz, who represents more the Jacksonville area, cut nine. I would love to take uh, whoever wrote that in Orlando. I would love to take them with me back to Afghanistan, mm-hmm. where women can't even leave their house uh, anymore, over to Hong Kong, where people are disappearing in the middle of the night if they dare to criticize uh, the Chinese Communist Party. It just shows a total lack of perspective of how great we have it here. We may not be perfect, but we work things out uh, through our elections and our courts, through debate, uh, and, and we're always seeking to improve. I'm glad they backtracked. I'm glad they apologized. Uh, but, it, you know, enough, it's, uh, enough of this kind of, of nonsense about uh, our great nation. Yeah, uh, I would think so. Navy, of, of course, uh, Mike Waltz obviously is over the top, red, white, and blue, because he fights for the country. He's a Green Beret. He's back in the National Guard, serving in Congress. Guy's part of every major decision. He's like, Lindsey Graham is trying to stay a part of almost every major decision in the Senate. Mike Walsh tried to be a factor in all of it, does the studying, uh, gets the firsthand accounts of what the real deal is, and then he goes forward. I just can't believe how much anti-Americanism. And then you had the shootings that took place in Illinois and in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia and Illinois, they got extremely strict gun laws. That's just the way it is in these cities. But now with the Supreme Court ruling that says you should really have a Second Amendment, even because you're in a blue city— they bring up guns again. Listen to this mayor, Jim Kenney, after two cops were shot at a parade. Cut 14. Everything we have in the city uh, at, over the last seven years, I worry about. I don't enjoy Fourth of July. I don't enjoy the, the, the Democratic National Convention. I don't enjoy the, the, uh, um, the NFL draft. I'm waiting for something bad to happen all the time. So it's, I'll be happy when I'm not here, when I'm not mayor and I can enjoy some stuff. You're looking forward to not being mayor? Yeah. You believe that? Okay. Well, who wants you anyway? You're looking forward to not being mayor. Maybe do something. Maybe clean up the streets and don't make it druggy-friendly. Maybe clean up the homeless people and don't make it homeless-friendly. Maybe go ahead and empower and take on your district attorney because it doesn't prosecute anybody. And maybe you start embracing the heritage, which is Philadelphia, which many people believe is the birthplace and cradle of freedom, where I think to, to this day, from my memory, you still have the Liberty Bell that stands there and the place where the Declaration of Independence was announced there. So I'm sorry being a mayor is such a hardship on you. Why did you run for it anyway? He said he wants stricter laws so more criminals can have guns and law-abiding people don't. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You are saying right now, what I hear you saying is do not come. But those words are not being heard. People are moving right now. So the efforts to stop the root causes are not stopping them. This horrific trafficking, the worst smuggling tragedy in U.S. history this week with those individuals found dead in that trailer truck, that's not stopping people. Are you predicting that this is only going to get 
more significant from here, that we're going to go beyond the record surge in migrants? Uh, uh, no, I am, I am not predicting that at all. And we're working with our partners to the south because this is a regional challenge that requires a regional response. But they got yeah, and why don't you threaten them? You put tariffs on them. You say no more aid unless you control your own border. You know how to do that. But instead, you say, I've been having conversations with you. have almost no conversations, no in-person meetings. The vice president's supposed to be in charge. You have not done anything. And now you're celebrating the no more remain in Mexico policy, celebrating it. With us right now is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, of, of course, located over in Texas, knows exactly what's going on. Uh, Colonel, what do you think about uh, uh, Mayorkas predicting it's not going to get worse? Well, he's out of touch, and he's delusional in every way, shape, form, and fashion. It's good to be with you, Brian. I pray you had a great Independence Day. And we're watching the undermining of the sovereignty of the United States of America at the hands of our government. As I continue to say, the Biden administration is aiding and abetting drug, human, and sex trafficking. And what happened with that horrific uh, incident where 54 illegal immigrants lost their lives in that tractor-trailer that's because the Biden administration is allowing this to happen. And the Mexican government really is not control of, of the border, especially here in Texas, where we're, I think we got like 1,300 miles that we share with Mexico. The criminal cartels, this transnational narco-criminal terrorist organization, they control what is happening along the border. And this is an insurgency. And I've seen this in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. If we don't look at it with those type of uh, understanding and through that prism, then we're not going to be successful. But Mayorkas has no clue, and I think that, as you just said, they're celebrating the Remain in Mexico policy being lifted because they don't want to enforce our border security. Yeah, the thing is, he does have a clue. He's doing this on purpose. Tom Holman said yeah. that he knows exactly how to stop the border. That's why he wants to strangle them. Uh, cut 21 is the answer to your question. Someone asked about the Remain in Mexico. Oh, it's going to be a great thing. And then what will happen? It goes, well, temporarily nothing. And then this will happen. Cut 21. Right now, they do have to remain in Mexico, and then uh, we will uh, actually continue with their immigration enforcement proceedings. Remember, when people are encountered at the border, they are just not merely released into the United States. They are placed in immigration enforcement proceedings, and that is what will occur uh, with these people. Their proceedings will continue in immigration court where they will pursue their claims for asylum. And if those claims are unsuccessful, they will be swiftly removed from the United States. Just know that, that none, of, none of what he said is correct. Go ahead. Yeah, that's a lie. I mean, we know what is happening. I mean, these people get these, quote, unquote, uh, notifications to, to appear. And that's really what they call the permiso. Uh, they see that as the permission to come in and be in the United States. They don't show up for these hearings. And when you have these organizations, you are very aware of them, these non-governmental organizations that are being the travel agencies. You don't hear about flights being canceled for illegal immigrants being flown all across the United States of America like it is for American citizens. So they are being proliferated all throughout the country. They're not going to show up for these hearings. And so we are seeing an incredible increase of illegal immigrants here that are going on government uh, benefits at a time when Americans are struggling to take care of themselves in their own homes. So he, there's a, a bunch of sheriffs getting together to push the governor mm -hmm. to declare this an invasion 
Tom Homan found that out exclusively and gave it to us this morning. If you declare an invasion, what would that what changes? Well, when you declare an invasion, therefore, you can go by the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause Number 3, and the states can take uh, actions themselves, and the states can come together. Uh, you know, one of the things we're looking at is some type of border compact, whereby states uh, along the border and states that are secondary to along the border, they can come together and say, we're not going to allow legal immigrants to, to come in, and they can start to deport these individuals. You just saw uh, Sheriff Brad Coe down in Kenny County. Brackettville, Texas, that uh, gathered up a bunch of illegals and took them and, uh, you know, forced them to go back across the border. That's how dire the situation has become, because he's got like 16 to 1800 square miles in Kenny County. He only has about six or seven sheriff's deputies, and he has no augmentation to his uh, his force. And he shares about 16 miles along the Rio Grande River uh, with Mexico. So this is how dire, dire this situation is. And he's right next door to Uvalde, Texas, which already has an incredibly bad uh, situation with illegal immigration as well. Oh, I just wonder where Arizona's outrage is. They have an aggressive attorney general. But uh, I don't, mm-hmm. where's the governor? It's just as bad in Arizona. Why don't we hear that? Yeah. You know, you've got to ask the governor out there, Governor Ducey. And, and again, when you think about this system of federalism and you think about the, the federal government and the Constitution, you know, if you violate Article 4, Section 4, if you're not protecting the states from invasion, that's, one of, that's in the Guarantee Clause, and that's why it's so important people read the Constitution, then the states can take action. And for whatever reason, we're not seeing that happen. You know, Mayorkas, Biden— uh, Kamala Harris, this is all purposeful. This is all intentional. They do not care what's happening down here on the ground. They could care less about those 53 illegal immigrants that suffocated uh, to death in that tractor trailer. Uh, and so it's going to continue. And guess who's making all the money right now? It's the cartels. Yep. M- millions and billions of dollars a week they're making. Colonel West, what's amazing is we have sophisticated ways to check every truck that comes through, uh, comes mm-hmm. through our borders. Okay, how about with this one? Open up the back of the truck and see if there are 55 bodies in there. Yeah, that's pretty simple. And that, that kind of reminds me of what we used to do in our combat zones in Iraq and Afghanistan. We'd have established uh, checkpoints, and then we have something that we call flash checkpoints. But, Brian, if you were to take a trip down along the border here in Texas, you will see a lot of these uh, border patrol stations. They're unmanned. They're, they're shut down. They're closed because guess what? Everyone is down there just basically policing up illegals and turning them over to these non-governmental association organizations that are putting them on planes and buses. So we have opened up the border completely, and so that's why I say Mallorca's is just a liar. And this is sad what is happening to our country, especially after we just celebrated our 246th Independence Day, that we have an administration that is undermining the sovereignty of America. It's nuts. Uh, the other thing is Roe v. Wade, what it's meant since it's been overturned, and how it's been characterized and weaponized by Democrats. Here's what Jan Crawford said. Let me underline this. A CBS legal analyst. I thought she made the most sense this weekend. Cut 24. 26 states asked the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade and let them set their own policies 
on abortion rights. And that's what we're seeing now. The court agreed. Uh, and we're seeing that play out across the country. Already states, uh, almost a dozen states, have laws in place ready to go uh, to, to completely ban abortion in their states. We're seeing these legal battles play out as, as at the same time as the state legislatures are passing their own laws. Blue states uh, passing laws to enshrine abortion access or protect it even more, for example. Right. And the chaos has led to some people mistakenly thinking abortion's banned or something. That's it's not. the most striking thing, I think. Um, the Supreme Court did not ban abortion nationwide. They just said there's not a right to abortion right. in the Constitution. That's what they're saying. And Republicans have mm-hmm. not been effectively pushing back. Uh, not, you know, it's not necessarily their, their job to be the spokesperson for the Supreme Court, but it would help if they, instead of just absorbing all these inaccuracies coming from the president, they would start saying that. You know, it, the Republican Party needs to go and take marketing and communications 101 uh, because they don't have the ability to come out and say, here is a, a good, strong message. And so when you have a president that is on foreign land that is uh, attacking one of the branches of government that we have, the judicial branch, and calling it outrageous behavior, Every single person from the Republican Party, you know, on that from, you know, the federal level on down to the states should have been able to articulate exactly what was just said, that there is no enumerated constitutional right to murder an unborn child. The, 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 the Supreme Court can't create a constitutional right to privacy. And so this goes back to the states because in Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution, it lists the 18 things that are the duties, responsibilities, jurisdictions, and purview of the federal government. This thing about abortion is not one of it. And the Tenth Amendment says all of the powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. So this is where it should be. And that's what the Supreme Court decided. So we need better messengers, better communicators that can get this out here and not allow the left and their media accomplices to uh, to d- dictate the narrative. Right. Uh, are you surprised Jeff Bezos is calling out the president? Are you surprised that uh – that Elon Musk is calling out the president? Are you surprised that you said so many people are no longer allowing the president to get away with this? At some point in time, I mean, common sense just has to step up, and especially with these individuals that are the captains of their respective industries, they need to step up and, and say that we're, we're headed down the wrong path. You know, without a doubt, we are in a recession now. You can talk to the people on the ground. They will tell you that. But technically, we're there because of the first quarter negative GDP growth, and the Atlanta Fed has already said that the second quarter negative GDP growth. So that's where we are. And so it's important that now we start to have people that are saying that, you know, it's not about political parties. It's about principles and values. This is about the things that work for our economic security, our energy security, our national security. We're just on the wrong path. And like we started out talking about with the border issue, this is purposeful and intentional, everything that is happening and how anyone can say that they're doing a good job and it's going in the right direction. I don't get it. Well, very few people, 39 percent approve of the president's job. And 14% think we're heading in the right direction. 14%. Yeah. Uh, Colonel Allen West, I see it's a six-point lead uh, that uh, Beto O'Rourke trails by just six points for the governor's race. Is it that close in your mind? I think the problem for, for Governor Abbott is, you know, when you look at the Republican legislative parties, he's not been a strong advocate uh, for it. Arizona just passed an incredible uh, school choice uh, law. Uh, we don't have that here. Uh, people want to see him take more action along the border. 
uh, as well. I think that's a great opportunity for him to show leadership. Uh, I hate to say it, you know, everyone's looking at Ron DeSantis as as a standard bearer right now as a constitutional conservative governor, uh, and our governor is not there. Beto O'Rourke is not going to win, but I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than a lot of people believe. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, you know, for some reason, he he has been underachieving when he comes out, and everybody wants him to do well. But I saw when he was in, within six points, I'm wondering what it feels like on the ground. I can't imagine the people of Texas deciding that a Democrat would be the best person to bring you forward, but who knows? Uh, well, you know, you, you've got all of our major urban centers are controlled by the, the Democrats, by blue. And so that has a lot to do with it. But in the end, East Texas and West Texas, they'll they'll get Governor Abbott over the finish line. That's all I can ask. Colonel Allen West, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll take calls after this. Colonel, always great to catch up with you. You got it. God bless you, brother. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll take your calls on that. Also on the lack of patriotism that we see in major organizations, whether it's uh, PBS, excuse me, NPR, or whether it's the city of Orlando, whether it's ESPN going out of their way to rip the country in our country, let alone what our enemies think. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Today we are updating an NPR Independence Day tradition, the reading of the Declaration of Independence. Since 1988, NPR staff members have read aloud the document that proclaimed the start of the United States. But that founding document has never been the whole story. So on this July 4th, we hear some of the ways Americans have used the Declaration since 1776. Unbelievable. So let's start abusing the country's founding and let's do it and use public dollars to finance it. Instead of reading the Declaration of Independence, they decide to editorialize. I guess they're referring to the fact that the Supreme Court decided that every state deserves the Second Amendment. And I guess they're referring to the fact that Roe v. Wade was uh, was overturned, primarily citing that the Constitution does not cite abortion as a constitutional right. So let the legal scholars argue it out and let other people like the president sit there and blame. So I just played some of what Jan Crawford wrote, uh, said as on CBS, because I was astounded that she said it on CBS. I guess because she's a legal expert, you really can't spin it. What happens is if you have a legal expert in your midst and you don't like what they're saying, you don't book them. But Jan Crawford made Face the Nation. Cut 26. As big of a term this was, and of course, whenever the court overturns a nearly 50-year-old precedent, uh, as they did with Roe versus Wade, next term could be as consequential, divisive uh, as this term or more so. They have major cases already on the docket. They'll continue to add them throughout the year. They've already got a case challenging affirmative action and college admissions. I expect the court is going to end that. That, to me, would be showing that we don't need it anymore. That, you know, the day of separate but equal are done, that Jim Crow laws are through, that we can go compete on a level playing field. And I actually think that would ripple down and ripple down to say, you know, why aren't more minorities getting into these Ivy League schools? Because they no longer can say I need a certain amount of blacks, a certain amount of Asians, a certain amount of women, a certain amount of men, a certain amount of white people, uh, a certain amount of 
American Indians, they're not going to have that if affirmative action shot down. But when they realize that only a certain segment of society is getting into these schools, you know, you can make a you know, private institution, even if you do accept federal money, for the most part, you can make your own laws, you make your own rules, unless it gets really egregious. It'll put more pressure on the public schools to live up to the standard of, let's say, more, uh, more uh, wealthier communities to put more money to the schools to pay their teachers more, give them better facilities. That'll allow more people to do what Arizona's doing. You can take your money, let's say 7000 a pupil a year, and you can move it to a private school should you choose because you got to start getting results. Affirmative action is going to be another hefty debate. And people are going to say racist if a conservative justice says, I really believe affirmative action's out, outstripped its stay. I, I mean, outlived its usefulness. It's no longer the country that we needed it for. And that'll cause some more uproar. But as the president says irresponsibly, even though this guy's got a long record of being against abortion, of trying to overturn Roe v. Wade in the 70s, and then when he runs for president, he's got a totally different idea. So there's a series of things happen with the Supreme Court, which elections have consequences. We hear that all the time. So I think that the president of the United States, everybody keeps saying that he's bipartisan, that he's moderate, and we haven't seen it yet because his effort to actually run a country has been to go to the left, to get the new Green Deal passed because he promised it to the squad. The squad, by the way, has no coattails. They have no power outside their small districts. In fact, you'll hear this at some point on the show. Elon Omar in Minnesota, in her district, at a concert, the squad, the highest profile outside AOC of the squad, was booed by the people who put her in office because she says Minnesota might as well be worse than a refugee camp, which you might not like Minnesota, but I would not say that that's an accurate description, would you? Don't forget, go to Brian Kill Me. Go to the Fox Nation. Get the latest episode of What Made America Great. Some are, are as good as it gets. Don't move. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world, especially in the Ukraine. We're going to be joined in a matter of moments by John Onorelli. Uh, he's a retired FBI, uh, and he's a member of the executive staff of the FBI's Cyber Division. Also, Brad Thor, one of America's most prolific authors, does a lot of work with the Pentagon and writes some novels that are very much based on fact. Then we'll do a simulcast this hour with Stuart Varney, which is always great. Donald Trump preparing to run. How is that going to affect this election cycle? And who else will jump in if he does, uh, if he does too? So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are going to be people who say that today is not the day, that now is not the time to talk about guns. I'm telling you, there is no better day and no better time than right here and right now. Nice try, Governor Pritzker. You make no sense at all. They just passed gun legislation. This guy had a legal gun. And now you're talking about before we even know any details. Let's just do let's talk politics. Another mass killer uh, grab 
uh, and we're talking about six wounded. We're talking six dead and dozens wounded. Of course, the governor in Illinois blames guns. The president of the United States says go vote politics at any cost. Number two. Today we are updating an NPR Independence Day tradition, the reading of the Declaration of Independence. So on this July 4th, we hear some of the ways Americans have used the Declaration since 1776. America's 246th birthday, trashed by many from ESPN to the city of Orlando to NPR. Not by us, I'll explain. Number one. The American economy is incredibly strong. I mean, we're still at 3.6 unemployment uh, under President Biden's leadership now. In just the first year, 9 million more jobs were added. Uh, That is not an economy that's in a recession. Well, that's something with good job numbers, but the other numbers, what we're really concerned about. Joe talks economy and the backlash is wide and pervasive, even from allies. First and foremost, Amazon's Jeff Bezos. His big firms brace for recession. This is Wonderboy Pete Buttigieg feeling the Democratic wrath as thousands of flights are delayed and canceled. And he does nothing except for demand your money back. It's, it's incredible. When you have Bernie Sanders turning on you, you know you're in trouble. So let's bring in John Inarelli. And uh, John's a really important voice right now because we're trying to get more and more details of that horrific Illinois shooting that took place in Highland Park, an affluent community of about 30,000 during a 4th of July July parade. All right, uh, John, from what we know of this 22-year-old, this guy seemed like a walking around five-alarm fire. You're right, Brian. There's a number of things in this matter that uh, we could have identified in advance, and hopefully somebody could have picked up the phone and maybe notified police to talk to this guy. As I said earlier today on Fox & Friends, it doesn't mean he would have necessarily been arrested, but you never know with a little bit of law enforcement intervention. It could have scared him off. It could have prevented him from moving forward. It may have given him a moment to think or... It could have given law enforcement a reason to intervene and do something with the criminal justice system. So it's the middle of the day. This guy gets high atop uh, a roof and he starts shooting. And uh, people from, I think, uh, 8 to 85 are in his path and have been wounded by him. What do we know about him? He loved to uh, make up movie video, uh, excuse me, music videos that show the uh, a school shooter blowing up a classroom. We also know that he was a rapper or an aspiring rapper. They say that he was worth about $100,000. His classmates always seemed to think he was a little bit off. His uncle came forward and said he keeps to himself. But just looking at him, John, I know you do profiling for a living. He's got facial tattoos, neck tattoos. He looks like he hasn't seen the outdoors uh, in about 20 years, even though he's 22. And we know that This guy seems to be obsessed with Lee Harvey Oswald. If you're a family member, what is your responsibility with Robert Cremo III? It's certainly very difficult to do anything with somebody who's over age 18. You can't force them to get mental health treatment. But nevertheless, family have the closest access. These are warning signs that they should have taken some action. He's interested in guns. Okay, that's one thing. But now he's posting stuff about former killers, former assassins. That is a huge red flag. And then you combine the two of those things, they should have been taking this kid off to a doctor. Or if they couldn't handle it themselves, that's when you call in the professionals. That's when you get law enforcement to come and talk to the guy. As a cop, 
I've had that call many times where the family wants me to come talk to a child because they have concerns. And like I said, maybe the cops can then get enough information to be able to take some action or better yet, steer this guy in a better direction. Hey, he left his gun behind. I mean, obviously, this is not any a Navy, uh, you know, SEAL veteran. So this guy, obviously, I don't think he's killed other people before. But for somehow, he thinks he's going to take a he should take aim at the American family, from which you could tell. Here's what Ted Williams thought as they tried to hunt to find out who this guy was. Cut eighteen. He probably cased this area. He knew oh. where he wanted to be. He knew that he would have the high ground there. And uh, he t- took uh, out these people in this carnage. Uh, you know, Trace, we saw this in Las Vegas where uh, a killer, a mass shooting occurred where the person had the high ground and shot down into the crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is not something that is new. So, I mean, obviously he, he took the time to find out where the best shot is. It was only five miles from his house. That's where he was caught, minutes from his house. Oh, that's where he was caught. It's probably where he grew up. But if I'm, a, if I'm a family member and I'm concerned about another family member, you alert the cops and just say, listen, I think the guy, I'm, listening, I'm looking what's on social media. I know what he's capable of. I know he has guns. So I'm just concerned. If they came up to you, John, and said that exact, those exact words, what's the process like? So having received these calls in the past in law enforcement days, you go out, you talk to the person. If the person says something like, you know, I want to hurt myself or other people, those are the magic words that let law enforcement take them off to a psychiatric facility for evaluation and hopefully get the help they need. But the process is simple. You pick up the phone, you call the police, you say, I'm concerned about my son. I think he may wish to commit violence at some point in the future. They will come out and they will talk to them. And hopefully you can stop this. But, Brian, the other thing you mentioned, he did this from the rooftop. He knew the area. All that shows forethought and planning. These were opportunities to not only intervene, but it's also going to work against him when he goes to trial because he clearly is not crazy enough to have not planned this the way he did. He put time and effort into this. All that time and effort will work against him in court, but can work in our favor in trying to prevent future acts like this from happening. Well, uh, I just I just have a problem. I don't want to get you into politics, but if you're trying to solve a problem, I don't think this is the way to do it. Here's Governor Pritzker, Cut 13. There are going to be people who say that today is not the day, that now is not the time to talk about guns. I'm telling you, there is no better day and no better time than right here and right now. It's the 4th of July a day for reflection on our freedoms. Our founders carried muskets, not assault weapons. And I don't think a single one of them would have said that you have a constitutional right to an assault weapon with a high-capacity magazine. You have a reaction to that? Yeah, I'm not sure our founding fathers would have made that argument uh, because they... uh, Certainly, the argument of the Second Amendment was defending ourselves against tyranny. But all that aside, uh, the government that, uh, and the governor making these comments, uh, number one, untimely and disrespectful to families. Number two, the issue here we're talking about is not guns. We're talking about here's somebody who has serious mental health issues. 
Once again, politicians don't want to talk about that. That problem is the same problem, whether it's Evalde, what we saw in Buffalo, and other events around the country. You want to tackle this problem? Let's talk about how we deal with the mental health issues, the people that are disturbed, that need help, and there is zero mechanism to get people that kind of help in today's society. We need to go back and figure that out. And you want to talk about freedom. You know what the legitimate debate is, uh, John Yannarelli? Uh, the big debate is if uh, what is your rights to to wrangle in a 22-year-old who you think is a danger? Because the other side of it, people listening right now would say, well, I, you know, you might think I'm a danger that I'm just I'm outspoken. I like to shoot guns. Now, all of a sudden, I have an FBI agent knocking at my door saying, come with me. I'm going to institutionalize you. We don't want to have that either. But when the Adam Lanzas of the world are dangerous, when you're the Buffalo shooter, everybody, he was already talked to by state cops for two and a half hours. The Uvalde guy, everyone's like, oh, yeah, we all knew he was dangerous. We just thought he was going to shoot up the high school, not the grammar school. So where's our where's the line there? You're absolutely right, Brian. And the line is this. So no one is going to get arbitrarily arrested, carted away or anything like that. What we're talking about is if you see an individual or aware of somebody who you have reasonable belief that they may pose a significant threat, the cops will come out and talk to them. Nobody's getting arrested. But if they say and admit, yeah, I want to hurt people, I want to hurt myself, they're not getting arrested for that either. They're getting offered treatment. They'll be taken somewhere where they can get help because they've said they want to hurt somebody. The idea is to stop that from happening in advance. Somebody doesn't want to hurt anybody. They don't want to hurt themselves. They've committed no crime. They have Second Amendment rights in this country, and nobody is going to interfere with that either. John, when you sit down, so I'm to John Yannarelli now, retired FBI member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division uh, and SWAT. When you sit down, does anyone have you seen a study that impressed you that gave a profile of some commonalities between these shooters? I'm not talking about the random gun violence. I think that's more societal that needs to be addressed. But you got to put this in a different category. There might be mass murderers or attempted mass murderers. They all seem to have some commonality. Have you seen politicians step aside and a blue ribbon committee put together to come up with some things that could help us solve this problem? No, because they're not talking about these problems because it makes for good political hay to be able to continue to get on the pulpit after the fact. But I will tell you, the Secret Service has really taken a great lead in this. They have done studies on shooters in an interest of protecting the president and other officials, but it's applicable elsewhere. And these studies have shown the commonalities, the warning signs that we can look for in advance that how these tend to uh, occur because of different things they've engaged in. Politicians would do well to look at what the Secret Service has done in putting that information together and try to use that in our own communities to let people know, hey, here's some of the warning signs. One or two, maybe nothing. You see a couple of these things, I guarantee you the shooter from yesterday, people will have seen him rehearse this. Check out the building. See if the... It's not the first time he went up there. You'll find out that he had practiced and figured out what he can do to commit this act. Those types of warning signs could prevent these tragedies in the future. And we know that he was all over social media, so he was not trying to hide himself. In fact, he had some statements on there. I'm getting jealous of other people who are getting more likes than me or more hits than me. So, And he's obviously an exhibitionist to a degree because he's 
he was releasing rap videos and had some success to a degree. Uh, I, I don't know. I look at him. The minute I saw him, I go, of course. Maybe that's stereotyping. But I'm looking at this kid. He looks like a shut-in, mentally deranged, capable of detaching himself to the point where he's killing children. Absolutely. I mean, if there's anybody that looks the part, it's him. And how could their family not have picked up on that? Three kids, middle child, up in his basement, up in his uh, attic somewhere, and now these people are dead or their lives forever altered. Frustrating. Uh, John Yannarelli, thanks so much. Brian, thanks for having me. All right, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll take you. I'll take your calls. Did you alter your plans after you heard about what happened in Philadelphia? Two cops shot during a parade, and what happened in Chicago, Illinois? Especially if you're in New York, the Macy's Parade. You know how much violence is going on here, the biggest in the country, and people wanting to make their mark. Thankfully, there was none, no violence, just a great show. But did you stay away just to be sure? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. His instinct is always to politicize these things, as he did in his speech uh, after Uvalde. So maybe it's better that he didn't say more because despite his rhetoric about uniting the country, mm. he tends to attack. The, pro- the problem he has is that his normal attack is is how horrible it is that Congress won't come together and do anything. And in fact, Congress did mm. just come together and do something. They passed the first gun bill, uh, yeah, gun safety bill, bipartisan gun safety bill, overwhelming bipartisan vote. So his normal line of attack he can't use. He had just, In fact, he would, beforehand was taking credit mm-hmm. for it. So. Uh, he was kind of his hands were tied in the kind of in the reaction he would normally have. It is, and it is tied, and that is one of the things that I thought was so smart about uh, what was brought up by. I, I think that most people agree that Mitch McConnell knows politics, and I think people agree that Senator Cornyn is not a uh, is not a moderate. He's a Republican, a conservative Republican from Texas. When he got together to lead with Senator Murphy, this. Uh, this gun bill, what it did is they wanted to effectively do something that mattered, not alienate Second Amendment rights, got it, and number two, take it off the table for November. Don't say Republicans don't want to do anything about guns, and every kid that shot, it's on Republicans. No. Uh, To Senator Murphy's credit, he came to the table and said, what can you get done? And I was listening to a podcast with Senator Murphy, and they were getting, they were kind of all over him saying, you didn't get the age raised to 21. You didn't get the assault weapons ban. You didn't get the ban for AR-15s. So what was the point of this? He said, you have to understand from Senator Cornish's perspective, there's only so much he could get done. We have to know what was possible, not what I wanted to get done. We have to find out what was possible. And we pushed it to the limits and we got something done. And I believe it'll, I think it could be effective. I mean, if you look at 18-year-olds if when they become 18, it expunges their record. If they're a whack job in 11th grade and they go become a senior in high school, freshman in college, they turn 18, they go get their gun. Now they're armed and they're crazy. At least you have a shot of your gun store owner of understanding who it is. I like to know actually where they go with this background check, too. I think you should be able to call the principal and find out what's on the record in the school. Now, this guy is 22 years old, so he is clearly an adult that wouldn't matter. However... I'm just wondering where personal responsibility come in. How soon till we get the stories 
of this shooter in Highland Park being a whack job that people were afraid of, seeing him scouting these locations, watching him with a gun. Do you see how he acted in these videos? The guy was acting like the Joker character in the Batman series. Do you think he just did that once? And did he have a cameraman? Of course he did. Think he hired a robot camera? What cameraman would shoot that and say, this will be fine? Just a school shooting scene where he laughs after killing people. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, one of America's finest military authors, Brad Thor. He has got the latest on his series, and then we'll do a Barney and Company. We'll go on that hit show. Big half hour. So glad you're here. That makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The goal is to make sure that Ukraine can continue to defend itself and can defend its sovereignty and its territorial integrity. And you heard the president talk about this at NATO just a few days ago. We don't need, we don't want to see Ukraine defeated by Russia. And that's why we are continuing to rush aid and assistance. Now, more than $7 billion worth of assistance. That's just from the United States alone to Ukraine. But right now they're losing territory because of the pure artillery of Russia. And they're, they're taking city after city. But the Russians are paying a big price. question is, as was written up last week, the, is it true that they are running out of ammunition? Is it true that they are paying an economic price? Does the isolation really matter? And Ukraine, uh, can it get a counteroffensive to kind of invigor- reinvigorate some of the aid they're getting. Brad Thor is with us now, number one New York Times bestselling author, as successful as any author in the country today. His newest book in his Scott Hovarth series is Rising Tiger. And Brad Thor, who has as much knowledge about the inner workings of the Pentagon and policy as anyone out there, joins us now. Brad, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's great to be with you. Hey, before we talk about the latest in your, in your novel, from what you could tell, what is the sense of what's happening on the ground uh, from the Pentagon's perspective in Ukraine? Because we're starting to increase the amount of sophisticated weaponry we're giving them, but it seems to be coming out too slow. It does seem to be coming out too slow. Uh, we do need to speed up uh, that sophisticated weaponry going to them. You know, you see the Russians bombing a shopping mall. That just shows you the desperation. That wasn't an accident. Their precision-guided munitions are basically all used up. So they've got these massive bombs that they're just going to drop on places and try to terrorize the people there. Uh, but the more we can get stuff like the harpoons and the javelins, I mean, it's been so successful uh, just contributing military equipment and aid, uh, financial aid. Listen, this is one of the best things that could have happened to us vis-a-vis Russia. We don't have to put any American personnel in harm's way. We're just spending dollars and sending equipment over there. This is this has been fantastic from a military standpoint. The loss of life is horrific for the Ukrainians, but it is great to see finally out in the open what a paper tiger the Russian military is and how well the Ukrainians have done just with the right tools. This is and, with our training learning experience and with our training. Yes. And definitely with our training. Absolutely. So Brad, you talk to a lot of people in the intelligence, you're able to write intelligently and practically and honestly with your fictional book, you want to know how much real 
You want to know what's really happening, and that enables your imagination to run because you've got to sprinkle the facts in with that. It's got to be believable. So having said that, do you think that the Pentagon has had overestimated the Russians? Because what we're getting is the answer is yes, they did overestimate the Russians. Yes. So overestimated the Russians, maybe underestimated the Chinese. Uh, you just look at the U.S. Navy. We, we really need to be putting a lot of money very quickly into uh, into our surface ships and cranking out a bunch more. Uh, my concern is, could we handle a two front war at this point? I don't know if we could. I don't know if our equipment is up to to doing that. I certainly know that our personnel are fantastic in the U.S. military, but to give them the right equipment, uh, particularly in the Navy with the ships, is something we need to be focused on like a laser beam. And China, and you, you mentioned the NATO summit in Madrid last week, and NATO identified China as an emerging threat that they, as NATO of all places, needs to keep a very close eye on. So uh, in, in seeing all this come into play, there's no doubt about it, the Chinese are more than formidable. They're beginning to build up their Navy. The question is, will we respond? And is there enough money in the budget to do it? We're already spending a lot of money. Is, uh, is the, what is the future of equipping our Navy? Is it through the aircraft carrier still? I think the aircraft carriers are part of it, uh, but of course we've got to worry about uh, the Chinese have some some pretty serious missile systems. Their sunburn is what they call a carrier killer. So we've got to be pushing DARPA uh, and all of the wonderful uh, defense manufacturers that we have here. DARPA obviously is not a defense manufacturer, but they come up with some great technology and some great ideas. But we need to be steps ahead of the Chinese. We need to be able to address the carrier killer missiles uh, because the Chinese are going to have a really a good amount of standoff where they're going to be far back and be able to take on our ships. And we need to have something that can eliminate that uh, strategic advantage uh, if we want to face down the Chinese. And I think that's coming at some point. It's going well, to you And you feel as though it's going to come because we're going to have a choice to make when it comes to Taiwan, correct? Yes. So Taiwan is a big thing. Uh, there's also a lot of belligerence in the South China Sea. You know, we do these freedom of navigation operations where we sail our ships places China says belongs to them just to say, uh-uh, no, it doesn't. We're going through here anyway. But China is getting more belligerent with waters that they're saying we're not allowed to go through and they own. So at some point, uh, it's just like the, the Iranians harassing our, our, our boats uh, in that part of the world. We're going to have something that's going to go the wrong way, I think. I think it's going to be one of these things where we stumble into something more than just China goes into Taiwan and what are we going to do? Uh, so I, I'm more worried about a black swan event that draws us into a conflict with China than actual, yeah, we're going to war against China. All right. So, Brad, tell me about the, the newest book, the Scott Holworth series. So I write thrillers, as you know, and I like to base them on some kind of really cool geopolitical thing that people aren't paying attention to or enough attention to. In two summers ago, the Chinese crept across the Himalayas into India, into an area where firearms aren't allowed. And they came in armed with homemade weapons. This thing looked like something out of Walking Dead. They had iron rods studded with spikes and baseball bats wrapped with barbed wire. And they attacked a contingent of Indian troops. And I found this fascinating that China's trying to nibble away at India's territory. And they're doing a lot of what Putin did with Ukraine. So I said, wow, wouldn't it be a cool spy thriller to try to set up an Asian version of NATO with India at the center of it? We're the oldest democracy, but they're the world's biggest and they're a natural ally for the U.S. And so that's what I based this summer's thriller on. And 
when you see the odds, I don't know if you want to, if it plays out this way, but you have Russia who's allied with India. India playing a really diabolical role in buying discounted oil and helping sustain Russia through this conflict, at the same time being arch enemies with China and China being an invaluable ally to Russia. Yeah, it's a, that is all the geopolitics at play right now are fascinating. I couldn't have hoped for a better menu of things to pick from as a thriller author. Uh, but there's also an opportunity for us. India is a natural ally for the United States, and we need to cleave off the Russians. We need to get, you know, they buy the MiGs and the missile systems from Russia. We've got a great opportunity to get in there, box the Russians out, and create an even tighter, better friendship and partnership with India. And that's what we should be doing as a nation in real life. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at the Navy SEALs, uh, where they're at right now, the vaccination that tried it almost obliterated their ranks. Where do you think we're at with special forces? Because we know recruiting for all armed forces is down. It, it's down, but I'll tell you, Brian, and you know a lot of these guys just like I do. It is a very special calling. These are some of the absolute best people we have in our nation and they are competitive as hell and they they are just amazing amazing people so whilst the recruiting numbers may be down in general i think there's always going to be this passion for special operations and wanting to get to that level because these guys are just so good and so motivated by their love of the country so i don't think that's going to be a problem but i do think if we don't have enough of them we use them too much and so the ops tempo doesn't give them a chance to be with their families and rest and recharge the batteries. And that's where we have to be careful is not overusing them. Uh, Brad, appreciate it. Thanks so much. Uh, Brad Thors, his latest Scott Hovarth book series is called Rising Tiger. Uh, you can find out more at Brad Thor, a New York Times number one bestselling author. Brad, appreciate it. Always, my friend. Thanks, Brian. All right. Well, in a little while, we're going to go on with Varney and company, and we're going to be talking about what's happening more in the Ukraine and also talk about this new battle, which I've not really discussed, but I want to lay the Crown Foundation for now. Uh, Gavin Newsom running for president. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Word has gotten out, even though he's friendly with Joe Biden. I think it's pretty clear that he's not going to be able to run. Biden's approval at 39 percent. If you look at Reuters, 33 percent. If you look at Quinnipiac, it's getting worse because he can't do the job. His his staff is one of the worst. So Gavin Newsom, who's overcome the recall and embarrassment of of over lockdown, underreacting, his duplicitous behavior, hypocritical actions, uh, eating at the French laundry while everybody else is uh, while everybody else is not allowed to have a restaurant open. He decides to attack Ron DeSantis, taking out ads saying, hey, Floridians, come to California. When everybody knows you get the weather might be uh, the weather is identical. The history is probably greater. Maybe the topography is more enticing. But when it comes to taxes, quality of life, when it comes to crime and punishment, nobody wants to go to California. They're running from California. But this is about Gavin Newsom taking on an opponent he feels he's going to be going against. And that's not Donald Trump. It's Ron DeSantis, and we'll discuss when we come back. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Back in a moment. After Stuart Varney, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls. 1-866-408-7669.
Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. In a matter of moments, going to go on FBN, fast-growing station and fast-growing channel on all of cable news. Stuart Varney, the hottest shows. We're going to be talking about Trump, Ukraine, with just a little bit about what we just discussed, and also the robbery about two from two potential presidential candidates, Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. Uh, and we'll see what happens, because for some reason, Gavin Newsom's dropping some money in Florida. I'm not sure. He's got no shot at winning in Florida, I don't think. And if you're supposed to get the Governor Christie principle of strike where the iron's hot, Governor DeSantis will be running. So let's listen in together. Look at it. 1051. That means Brian Kilmeade is with us this morning. All right, Brian. President Trump may launch his 2024 presidential bid earlier than anticipated. Why do you think he's doing that? Is it because DeSantis is gaining ground? Maybe. And I I think there's a lot of people discussing running in. I don't think Tom Cotton has given up running. I know Nikki Haley says, I'm not going to run. If Trump runs, you never know. Mike Pompeo says, I'm still thinking about it. Um, Governor Yunkin still thinking. I mean, to me, Yunkin really is not in the Trump world, but is friendly with Trump. That's pretty much the perfect scenario. Chris Christie basically says he's in. So if you want to clear the field, make it clear that, you know, I'm, I still got the majority of the Republican vote. I'm going to be really tough to beat. I'll come after you if you do early. So clear the field. Also, I think Trump's getting frustrated watching what's happening with the January 6th committee. And yeah. I think he says, I want to steal some of that narrative back and be defined and say, not only do I not agree with what's going on, do I think there's another witch hunt part five, I guess, but I'm going to run again. So do you really think I'm worried if I'm going to run again? So yeah. while you debate whether he should be indicted or not, he's going to debate on what he's actually going to announce. Now, on this matter of uh, Governor DeSantis, uh, he is mocking the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, after Newsom rolled out a new political ad, and he rolled out the ad in the state of Florida. Watch the ad, right, Brian? Roll it freedom it's under attack in your state i urge all of you living in florida to join the fight or join us in california where we still believe in freedom freedom of speech freedom to choose freedom from hate and the freedom to love don't let them take your freedom whoa <laughs> the state of, uh, i i won't comment on that i'll leave that to you brian do you think we'll see a DeSantis newsom face-off in 2024 i i gotta tell you i cannot see newsom winning a national election The fact is, this says to me a couple of things. Gavin Newsom is very friendly with the Biden family. And I just think it's a fait accompli among inside inside Democratic circles that Biden's stepping aside. And Gavin Newsom says, I want to be first and I want to show you how bold I'm going to be. I'm going to be the fighter that you say doesn't exist on the left. And I'm going to go after the number one fighter on the right. And if they could get more people like every moment that we're talking about Gavin Newsom right now, he's happy. Do you know what else he did? He opened up an account on Truth Social, which is Donald Trump's uh, conservative to a version of Twitter. And he's fighting there. Why? He wants people not talk about the high taxes, high crime, high homelessness, his uh, French laundry visit, his uh, extended crackdown after COVID. He doesn't want to talk about the problem they're having with illegal immigrants taking over their entire state. He says, let me go fight against the other young guy. And let me see. Let's make this between us. And I'll bypass Trump and Biden, who might, uh, for now, be on the top of the ticket. I think it's smart. But the other problem you have with Gavin Newsom is his actual report card. It's abysmal. Exactly. He took a home but- run and decided to run the wrong way around the bases. I, I, I surely can't believe that a liberal from California with a track record like that 
could win a national election. Do you believe they could win? Well, what he can only win by saying, I'm not liberal, I'm moderate, and I'm to, I even go to the right. There's some things I agree with, you know, I agree with the Republicans on, I'm some things I don't, to separate himself from his actual track record. But if you look what's happening on the left, he's going against Bernie Sanders at 82 years old. He's going against Peter Buttigieg, who's totally ineffective when it comes to actually job performance. He's going against Kamala Harris, who can't get a sentence out that's not in the prompter. I mean, who is she really taking on? Elizabeth Warren? Unbelievably unlikable. So where is the person who's going to shout down and stare down Gavin Newsom? He does have a lot of money behind him. He's got Hollywood behind him. At the very least, could get him to the finals, then see yeah. what happens. You make a good case there, Brian. Yeah, I mean, I could see him as the front runner amongst Democrats because they've got such a weak bench at this point. A weak starting right, lineup, not even a bench. The starters yeah. aren't effective, <laughs> let alone their bench. Just show Just me the starting lineup. It's these sports analogies that always get to me. Right. Hey, Brian, you're all right. We'll see you again real soon. Thanks, all right. Brian. Go get him. Uh, Stuart Varney, thanks. one 408 7669 I didn't really talk a lot about that because, in a way, I feel like I'm playing into something. It doesn't. It's almost a... It's almost a computer-generated fight. They used to put Muhammad Ali computer-generated fight against Rocky Marciano. Both men were alive. One's in his prime. One had just retired. They said, how would this come out? There's so much that has to happen for Newsom to take on DeSantis. But what does it say about Gavin Newsom in a state that has got a lot of problems, a huge, uh, a huge uh, uh, exit? There's a huge exit strategy going on right now to the point where the next policy that the, the California is looking to, to implement would be continue to tax people once they leave the state. So that's how their tax base is leaving. Hollywood is beside themselves. They're so politically correct they can't even staff a movie. How long they locked everyone down on COVID, how ineffectual the uh, the vaccine mandates were, how many people got fired because of it. And then you walk around and see the traffic, the homelessness, and the crime. So how do I change the subject, put some more gel in my hair, and take on the most popular Republican, Ron DeSantis? And I'll take out ads in Florida. To me, he's got Absolutely national designs, because where else is he going to go? I actually don't even see it. You know what's kind of sad? I don't see, didn't see a serious run against Cuomo until he imploded. And I didn't see a, I don't see a serious run against Gavin Newsom because it's really one party rule. There's no Schwarzenegger looming in the background. There's no Ronald Reagan uh, there that other people would entertain. The Republican Party's starting to rebuild, but it's not rebuilding fast enough to take him on. So he's bored. So after the recall was beat, and by the way, do you remember some of his speeches that Gavin Newsom gave when he was on recall? He was so nervous. He seemed absolutely incensed and angry, inarticulate, ineffectual on a daily basis. But uh, that's what he wants. The guy wants to be president, but I don't think he wants to do the work, and he certainly doesn't have the report card. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Go to briankilmeade.com, order any of my books or What Made America Great on Fox Nation. Four new episodes. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 So glad you're uh, listening to the show. We're heard around the country, around the world, but coming to you from Midtown Manhattan. 
Uh, and, of course, we hope we're heard in Ukraine. Peter Morici, an economist extraordinaire, will be with us shortly at University of Maryland. That's about in a half hour. The market is down 727 points right now. What's with the big sell-off? What about what the president said is wrong with the economy? Does he buy it? He'll be with us shortly. Uh, and Tim Stewart standing by. He's president of U.S. Oil and Gas Association. They're finally firing back at the president who's trying to vilify them as the bad guys as we pay $5 a gallon for the most part for gas. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There are going to be people who say that today is not the day, that now is not the time to talk about guns. I'm telling you, there is no better day and no better time than right here and right now. Really, uh, I doubt it, Governor Pritzker. Another mass killer. Uh, he is grabbed, but I'll tell you what, he was a walking five alarm fire, kills six, wounds dozens. Governor of Illinois decides to play politics. The president decides to uh, tell everybody to vote. Enough. Number two. Today we are updating an NPR Independence Day tradition, the reading of the Declaration of Independence. So on this July 4th, we hear some of the ways Americans have used the Declaration since 1776. There we go. Unbelievably inappropriate. America's 246th birthday, trashed by many from ESPN to NPR to the city of Orlando, not by us. Number one. The American economy is incredibly strong. I mean, we're still at 3.6 unemployment uh, under President Biden's leadership now. In just the first year, 9 million more jobs were added. Uh, That is not an economy that's in a recession. Really? Thanks, John Kirby. Joe talks economy and the backlash is far and wide, even with his allies. First and foremost, Amazon's Jeff Bezos has big firms braced for recession. And the wonder boy, Pete Buttigieg, feeling the Democratic wrath as thousands of flights get delayed, thousands get canceled, and he says, make sure you get money instead of points. Thanks for the help, Mr. Secretary of Transportation. Uh, let's bring in Tim Stewart now. On Saturday, the President of the United States tweeted this at his industry. Companies running gas stations should simply bring down the price you're going, you are charging at the pump, anyone on. Uh, Tim, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Kind of shocked on Saturday and this holiday weekend to get blasted? Well, you know, it's ironic that it came on Independence Day weekend because, you know, Americans stood up to this kind of crap 246 years ago, which is basically we don't like being told what to do by by one person. And I think the, the White House just didn't think this went through as they sent that tweet out. They did have a crappy week last week, though. So I think what this was was a, a an attempt to change the subject away from the other bad news they had. And uh, I think it has uh, caught people's attention. It did. And what you responded back to the president by saying this, the, the U.S. Oil and Gas Association responded on Twitter, said, working on it, Mr. President. In the meantime, have a happy fourth. And please make sure the White House intern who posted this tweet registers for economy econ 101 for the fall semester, because clearly they don't understand your business. Well, you're exactly right. And, you know, it's interesting because we find ourselves in between Jeff Bezos and The Wall Street Journal. So it's, we're all on the same page on this uh, you know, I thought uh, Amazon, you know, Jeff's tweet was interesting because, you know, Amazon's got 100,000 fleet size, you know, 100,000 vans and trucks. And so they have a real business interest in lowering prices. And to his credit, he could have probably agreed with that White House tweet, but he instead he pointed out that they're essentially dumbing down this economic discussion and, and Americans aren't stupid. And 
you know, we just kind of tried to, we decided, you know, based on your instructions to me to fight back, we sort of uh, tried to do a little uh, tweak on the nose there as well. I, I hope so, because it's a capitalist country. You would like to drill more, but, you know, we are in, it's a not, it's not a nonprofit. So because they wouldn't do any, allow any offshore drilling because the federal land that they now allow you to drill on is a ruse because you can't get the permits to do it. They refuse to loosen up on the environmental standards and speed up the process of the evaluation period. Even if they're going to reject you, pick up the pace because they're dragging yeah, it out. And Exactly. And, you know, and, and yeah, he didn't I mean, even want to walk down the block to hear that explanation from you. Instead, he met with the wind executives at the White House. Did that irk yeah. you guys? That was, you know, they, like I said this before, but it's, it's, they took the easy meeting instead of the harder meeting. You know, last week's energy developments, you know, we had the news that the White House had sent envoys to Venezuela to request the Marxist government which to send more oil to the U.S., which ironically the, the Venezuelan industry is largely controlled by Russia. You know, we also learned that EPA was going to do backdoor uh, regulation to, to try and ban fracking in the Permian Basin. That's 40 percent of our production right now and almost all of our growth. And then to your point, you know, the, the after hours Friday announcement of a draft five-year offshore leasing plan, which is, is late and may or may not include actually offshore, offshore leasing. It's a 75 percent reduction from the proposed leases from the prior administration. And so, look, they're, they're, they're trying to change the subject continuously and, and not take responsibility for their own policy failings. And from our industry, we get tired. You know, my guys are mostly small independents, so the risk takers in this industry, and they're tired of becoming the punching bags of administration, which is wandering around with his left turn blinker on. There's so much that you just said is important. They were looking to back toward the end of fracking. You know how many times the president of the United States, when he was candidate uh, Joe Biden, said, I'm not banning fracking? So he's finding a way to backdoor do it. Offshore drilling? Can you imagine banning offshore drilling at the same time berating an industry for gouging the public, which you're not? And then going to Venezuela, we do not recognize that government. We asked all of our allies to, rep- to, to recognize Juan Guaido as the leader of that government. We do not recognize that brutal regime that destroyed all capitalistic principles how does he get to go down there and do this? Well, and that's that's the point, which is it's schizophrenic energy policy. It's it's say one thing, do another, do one thing, say another. And again, the, I think the American people are really have caught on to this. Uh, I, if you look at the, the polling numbers, um, they they recognize that. There's a lot of different factors that go into the economic uh, situation we're in right now. It's not just the, the oil and gas industry price gouging as simplified as, as the administration wants to make it. We're we are we are moving our production up, but we've got supply chain constraints as well. And uh, again, this is a this is a global market now, and Americans, to the credit, I think, are, are willing to call BS on this president and and his communications team. So, so what you're referring to is also on Saturday, Jeff Bezos saw that tweet that you guys mocked, and and most people. Uh, we're angered by. And he writes this. He says, blaming high gas prices on companies. Ouch. Inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep making statements like this. It's either straight ahead, mister it's either straight ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of the basic market dynamics. Where the White House press secretary come out and said oil prices have dropped by fifteen dollars over the past month per barrel. But the prices at the pump have have barely come down. That's not basic uh, market dynamics. It's a market that is failing the American consumer. Do you want to take that on? 
Well, you know, again, he, he's right, and it, I, I appreciate the fact that he said this is either misdirection or misunderstanding. And, uh, again, our challenge is, uh, and you and I have talked about this, a barrel of oil, you know, consists of, or the price of a gallon of gas consists of the cost of the oil, but it also consists of the refining, the transportation, and it consists of the state and local and federal taxes, and then whatever's left for the retailer, that's what their margins are. And we have refining capacity constraints that are regional all across the country right now and frankly that's that's everybody's fault it's you know it, we all should have been investing in this much sooner and, and for much longer but again it doesn't help when the White House says we're going to sunset the oil and gas industry we're going to make them go away it makes it incredibly hard for my industry to go to Wall Street and say capitalize us but if the White House says it's we will be gone in three years so that billion dollars we may make to, to uh, refurbish that refinery we may or may not be able to pay that back but you know let's do it anyway uh, again, it's these mixed messages, and it's it's trying to shift the blame, and, and frankly, we're getting tired of it. So the billionaires, and no no one's a heart bleeds for billionaires, I get it, but billionaires employ people, million, a lot of times tens of thousands, if not a million people. So you look at uh, Zuckerberg, you know, the Zuck bucks helped put Biden in the White House, but now he's out $65.5 billion since he took office. Jeff Bezos is out $63 billion. Musk is out $62 billion. They made their success. Listen. Whatever you want to say about all three of those guys, no one gave them any money. They actually took tremendous risk. They bet on themselves, and they've become multi-billionaires. Along the way, they've trained, they've trained countless leaders in their field. They've given people entry-level positions, allowed them to grow within the economy. That's the way the capitalist company country works. What I'm wondering is Musk has come out against this president uh, Bezos has come out with this president. Zuckerberg is almost responsible for putting this president in office. When are going to people realize this is not right and left, it's right and wrong? Well, uh, you know, again, I agree 100 percent with you. And nothing, nothing like the, the, the impact to the pocketbook uh, that causes people to become capitalists you know, and, and become more conservative. And when you mention those numbers of how much uh, those billionaires are down, it makes me feel just a tiny little bit better about looking at my 401k, which is down (laughs) like everybody else's. But the reality is – and and Musk is a really good example. You know, he was kicked off the ESG index. The the man who – you have two people. You have Bezos and you have Musk who who have largely – on Bezos, to his credit – completely restructured the global supply chain and how we get our goods. And Musk has put together, has really elevated the, the feasibility of the electric vehicle infrastructure. In space. Both of those guys are deserve an incredible amount of credit. And yet they themselves look and realize where this White House is going isn't helpful to anybody, regardless of where our political ideologies fall down. I want you to hear what the president said about his trip to the Middle East to beg the Saudis for oil. Cut for I guess I will see the, the king and the crown prince, but that's, that's not the meeting I'm going to. They'll be part of a much larger meeting. I'm not going to ask. I'm going to ask there's the, all the Gulf states are meeting. I've indicated to them that I thought they should be increasing oil production generically, not to the Saudis particularly. Oh, really? Isn't that nice? So he's going to recommend that they increase production. When Macron told him yesterday, excuse me, last week, that uh, I talked to the Saudis, they really they can do very little more. Same with the UAE. What do you think this trip is going to prove? Well, there isn't an awful lot of extra spare capacity in that. 
But I got to take ourselves back to three years ago. And if I repeat myself, I'm sorry. But I, you know, I've said we, the United States remains the energy superpower of the world. Number one in oil and gas production. Number one in coal. Number one in geothermal. Number two in wind and solar. We got to start acting like a superpower for crying out loud. Three years ago, the Saudis were responding to us. The Russians were responding to us because the shale producers in the United States were so good at what we were doing. We we caused the global market, the global price, to come down so it was so affordable. You and I were paying a buck seventy-five for gas. We got to start acting like a superpower. We got to put some swagger back in our, our foreign policy. If the president were to go over there and say, you know what? Our friends in the, in the kingdom, we're going to really, really unleash what's going on in the United States. What we did three years ago, we're going to do it again. And they would respond differently. They'd say, well, we're going to race you to this production numbers. But instead, you go and shake the tin cup and say, please, please give us more. It makes no sense. Listen, I, I hear you. And, and lastly, here's what the president said about who's to blame for high oil and gas prices. So it's not all your fault. Kafai. We have the strongest economy in the world. The reason why gas prices are up is because of Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. The reason why the food crisis exists is because of Russia. So I guess it's not all your fault, but in reality, can you explain how, and we're talking, by the way, with Tim Stewart, president of U.S. Oil and Gas Association. Can you blame, explain to us how this works when you took Russia off, did that affect the pro? When you took Russia out of, uh, I guess the the out of the customer list of of the world commodity, how did it affect the price? Well, you know the Russians have been very, very, very good at, at skirting all those sanctions. You know, and you notice who's buying all the Russian crude at an incredible discount, which is which is India and China. And uh, frankly, I think the sanctions have backfired because the prices haven't come down; they've actually gone up. The Russians, with all due respect, with the Saudis not having the capacity that they, the, the president thinks that they do, the Russians kind of have us over the barrel, no pun intended. And, uh, again, it's backfired on us. But, Brian, today's Tuesday, and that clip, you know, he blamed, he'll blame Russia today, but Thursday he'll blame somebody else, and come Saturday he'll blame somebody else. So it's just the pattern of what we deal with week to week. And what's going to change? I mean, you've already gone to Washington. You've had the meeting with the Secretary of Energy. Did, you, did anything productive come out of that? Well, so that was actually with just a select group of refiners and companies who run refineries. Our our trade associations have asked for a separate in, uh, meeting with regards to production. But, uh, you know, I, if you check the price of oil today, we're down under 100. And the reason why is because there are, it's not a whisper of recession anymore. It's some fairly loud shouts. And so what that does is that causes demand collapse and, and people start changing their behaviors and their buying behaviors. And nobody wants a recession, but honestly, I think the administration has left the economy with no choice but to, to lower prices other than to go into recession, and that's a lose-lose for everybody. Uh, Tim Stewart, thanks so much. President of U.S. Oil and Gas uh, uh, Association, this administration constantly has you under fire. I'm glad you're firing back. Yeah, well, I'm doing what you told me to, so we appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks a lot. Go get him. And by the way, I, I have a feature I think everyone will love. I knew nothing about oil and gas, but I learned a lot more by going out to the oil fields and meeting with the oil experts, the history of oil and gas in America, and what, how it relates to us becoming a superpower. I think you'll find it as fascinating as I did. Just go to What, what Made America Great on Fox Nation. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. In 1776, you know, the entire span of history 
Before then, the world was led by kings, queens, and emperors. They decided what rights you had, who you married, where you lived, uh, what your occupation was, and our founders turned that on its head. Uh, they said, no, we are given God-given rights, we the people, and we decide what the government can and can't do. And that was a seismic shift uh, in history that has led to an explosion of freedom and democracy all over the world. Never perfect, always seeking to improve, and we still have a long way to go. But uh, we have to appreciate how brave those men were that signed that document. They were mm. literally hunted down for signing it. Two recommendations. Number one, if you feel as though this country is not good enough for you, you got to get a perspective. And if you can travel and go to the places you think you might want to live, go up to Canada, go up to Australia. I'm sure you don't want to go to China, Russia, Venezuela, uh, Bolivia. I'm sure those are places you don't want to land. I'm sure Ukraine is not the best places to go right now. Maybe you want to go to Finland, Sweden. Go ahead. Check it out. Save your money. And if you're a person of means, do it right away. And if you come back and say to yourself, this, these play, other places so much better, please leave. You'll be able to do it. You deserve to be happy. But if for most of you, you're going to travel around and say, wait a second, do your research. Don't just be a tourist. You're going to come back and say, I'm so glad I'm here. And why is it that wherever I go, people want to talk about us? How many people are trying to sneak into Sweden? How many people are trying to sneak into Finland? Find places. But they're not America. It's a land of opportunity. We give you an equal outcome. We can't give you equal outcomes, but uh, the goal is to make it equal opportunity for people to fulfill whatever they want. They want to go ahead and work a job where you retire in 25 years to a relatively happy middle-class lifestyle. That's great. You want to become the Jeff, the next Elon Musk of the world? Go try. You have the opportunity to do that. Fail and succeed. That's the whole key. Somehow, we have, if you fail, it's somebody else's fault and you need money to support yourself. It's got to be the opportunity for success. We've overdone the social safety net and we've overcome, we've overdone the coddling. We got to bounce back. We have to learn to get this cut spending, cut the social programs, not increase them. When we come back, the state of our economy, as our market has dropped 671 points at this hour, Peter Morici. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The American economy is incredibly strong. I mean, we're still at 3.6 unemployment uh, under President Biden's leadership now. In just the first year, 9 million more jobs were added. Uh, that is not an economy that's in a recession. Uh, and the president's right. We have the foundational elements here in the American economy to weather through this and to, and to come through it uh, strongly and, and good on the outside, on the, on the other end of it. So there's a list of 21 businesses and leaders, economists, raising red flags over recession. Uh, among them, Mark Zuckerberg, Noria uh, Rabani as an economist, Mark Summers, Mike Summers, CEO of American Petroleum Institute, Jamie Dimon, we all know him, Elon Musk, we've heard of him, Charles uh, Sharoff, and of course, Larry Summers, all said, here comes a recession. And these guys have lost billions of dollars already. But, and to his credit, he's got he's just grinding it out. John Kirby, an admiral, one minute he's talking for the Pentagon, now he's telling us how great the economy is. I'm going to go with Peter Marici. He's an economist and business professor at the University of Maryland. Peter, is is John Kirby right? Our economy's great, incredibly strong. I think that John Kirby needs to learn the difference between being an admiral and being an economist or being a business leader. 
If you're an admiral and you're setting about a mission, you have absolute confidence and you give your soldiers no reason to doubt. He just made his statement in such a firm and absolute manner that it absolutely can't be taken as credible. I mean, the reality is the best forecasters, and that's not saying a lot, admit that the record of economists on forecasting these things is very spotty. I think there's a decent chance we can avoid a recession, and I've explained why in a recent column in the, in the Washington Times. But that doesn't mean I would say it you know, with that level of certainty. For one thing, even if you look at and have a great economic model and you run it perfectly and all that, there are these external shocks like uh, Putin invading you know, the Ukraine that you just can't model. I mean, you just can't. And so uh, I think that we have a shot at avoiding a recession. I think that to some extent, Jamie Dimon uh, really should keep his mouth shut. Uh, and uh, many business leaders should do the same. They should just focus on their businesses. And, and unless they think the administration should be doing something that it's not, then they can recommend that. But I don't think anybody can speak with certainty. Um, and, and, and I stand by that. And I think Larry's eventually going to get burned. You know, he had a good call, as did I, on the inflation thing. I predicted the same thing. Right. But not being at Harvard, I didn't get quite the same attention. But that doesn't mean that he's going to call him right time and time again. I mean, I don't think we can say with certainty we're going to have a recession. So let's talk about the quality uh, of the economy. Right now, I know it's where the market's having a terrible day, down 667 points. It was even up higher a short time ago. But here's what the president said uh, about inflation, which I think is if more people feel than anything else. Cut three. I can understand why the American people are frustrated because of inflation. But inflation is higher in almost every other country. Prices of the pump are higher in almost every other country. We're better positioned to deal with this than anyone, but we have a way to go. That's not even remotely correct. Well, I mean, yeah, that was amazing. This was the guy the other day who told the gas stations to to only charge what they're being charged for the gasoline as if the oil companies owned them. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, just you have to take everything from the White House these days with if your senile grandfather called you up and talked and talked to you about how you'd invest your money. Would you humor him or do what he says? Humor him. You know, right, exactly. Come on. We, we, we now have seen enough of Joe to realize that um, probably his foreign policy is being run out of the State Department. Uh, they, they, they only have committees over in the, in, the, in the Defense Department that never seem to report on time. And so they have things on a certain course, and you can agree or disagree with their strategy in the Ukraine, but they have it on a course, and they're pursuing it consistently. On economic policy, have you heard Brian Deese say anything intelligent about inflation? Not yet. Okay, there you go. And he's scripting the president, if the president is being scripted at all. I mean, they're still blaming monopolies, for God's sakes, as if those monopolies didn't exist when Donald Trump was president. Now, all of a sudden, and we had 2% inflation, and all of a sudden, mystically appeared. And they accept no culpability with regard to an oversized stimulus package, which Summers did the math on. That he should be given credit for is saying, you know, your stimulus package is greater than the, the excess supply in the economy. This has to bid up prices. Um, now, Brian Deese is really in over his head, uh, and it's really sad. Uh, where did he go? Princeton? One of those uh, Ivy. I'm not sure, but here's I, what he said. Here's what he said on Thursday. I'll let you have at it. Cut six. 
But these are uncertain times and when prices are high, uh, people are uh, understandably frustrated when they're pulling up at the gas pump. As we go through this challenging period, even as we move through this uh, transition, uh, we also have made historic economic progress. Feel better? No, I mean, it would be impossible not to make a historic economic progress after you purposely shut down the economy, you know, which we did for the pandemic, and then reawaken it. You're going to have a big bounce in employment. I think one of the problems is everything that comes out of the White House right now is political spin. You know what he sounded like? He sounded like a senator from, say, Michigan or Wisconsin or Ohio or whatever in a close race who is trying to put a positive spin on things so he can get reelected. Um, and, and I guess that's what he has to do. And I would cut him some slack, but for the fact that of, of all this monopoly bashing and not really uh, addressing what are the fundamental problems. Uh, and, you know, over the Department of Commerce, uh, the Commerce Secretary's humorous. Almost every day I get an email from her about some meet, important meeting she's going to. She sounds like a realtor from Scarsdale. The house is not moving. We're calling a meeting. Uh, this is not a competent crew. It's just not. Janet Yellen and, had a meeting with her counterpart uh, yesterday uh, in China. Yeah. And they're thinking about removing she and, and G, uh, Romando, Secretary of Commerce Romando, want to have the, uh, the tariffs removed. Where do you stand on that between us and China? Well, I don't think we should remove the tariffs because they won't make a consequential effect on inflation. I mean, Goldman Sachs, I believe it was, came out with a, yesterday, the day before, what a computation says, three-tenths of a percent. That's about what the Peterson Institute said. And they're free traders. They want, they want to be done with the tariffs, but they're not saying they're going to solve inflation because they want to be done with the tariffs. My feeling is that uh, they are leverage. There's something we're giving away a negotiating ship if we take them without off. negotiating. <laughs> well, Pauline Ty doesn't know how to negotiate. She's a hill staffer for God's sakes. She's just not. She's just she 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 should be an assistant USTR this time around. She should not be U.S. Trade Representative. It's that simple. The stuff that's been coming out of her mouth about this notion that we're going to do a middle-class friendly pro-labor trade agreement. And we have this thing in Asia where people can opt in and opt out to any piece they want. So far, we only have opt outs. They've accomplished nothing. We're denying a trade agreement to Britain, which seriously weakens the British economy because of Brexit. Given Britain's strategic importance and its reliability as an ally, should we be causing it to be part of what's causing its economy to decline? But Joe Biden is still obsessed over what happened to the Irish at the hands, at the feet of the British in the 19th century, that he can't see his way clear to a 21st century policy. What you've got in this administration are people with so many prejudices, hobby horses and cobwebs in their brains, skeletons in their closet. You know, I know Donald Trump's mind was not a not a mousetrap of clarity. It was no steel mousetrap. But here we have a whole ensemble of nuts. I mean, right. at least we had Larry Kudlow over at the White House before. And so, he, you know, he actually imposed some sanity. And I would go visit and all that. And they would roll their eyes, you know, about some of the things POTUS would do. <laughs> but, you know, at least there were some people there that were advising. Like, for example, think what you want of the State Department right now. It is competently run. I mean, would I have more aggressive people there that took a more aggressive posture towards Russia? Yes. But the posture that they are taking 
is one that is defendable within the range of acceptable foreign policy. And it is being run consistently. And it's being run effectively according to the policy. You know, their, right. their tactics and their actions are consistent. Basically, what you've got is that a bunch of hysterical student council sophomores over at the White House screaming to the principal, make inflation go away and make the world fairer. I, a I couple mean, of things. Yeah, this I, is really this is really economics by a 19 year old. But a State Department, a State Department better than the White House. Sure. But are they by, by trying to reestablish relations with Venezuela? I am not for that. The way they left Afghanistan, their fingerprints were all over that exit. The Pentagon didn't stand up for itself. So and, and I don't believe they were ahead of the curve when it came to recommending wep- uh, armaments for Ukraine to have them better prepared to fight. But I want to bring I understand you that. all oh. those all those. Th- I agree with you on all those things. What I'm trying to say to you is there are many Republicans, moderate Bush type Republicans, you know, that would go along with that. And it is being run in a consistent fashion I hear in you. a manner that you would consist you would expect with regard to the facts on the ground. It's the wrong policy. What I'm saying to you is there's no coherence to the economic policy. That's all. As poor as the foreign policy may be, the economic policy is worse. How's that? I feel. So, so I want you to hear. I want. I want you to get. I want your definition of this. Brian D. spoke up again, and he kind of skidded into this statement that I think is at the foundation of their economic policy, and I find abhorrent. Listen. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. But at the same time, what I'd say to that family and to Americans across the country is you have a president administration that is going to do everything in its power to blunt the, those price increases and bring those prices down. The liberal world well, order? Yeah, the thing is, is that if we were interested in the liberal world order, now this takes us back to foreign policy. We've been pursuing a very different policy in, in the Ukraine. It's ludicrous to let the Russians bomb the Ukrainians into the Stone Age and not give them the weapons and intelligence that we have and that is available to return the favor. You know, we could, we could equip them to take out their generals and, and their leaders based in Russia. We could equip them to bomb strategic, tar- you know, by missile strategic targets in Russia, but we don't. We could return, have them return the favor. Right now, all the costs are being imposed on the Ukrainians. It's completely over and over again. They say we're giving them defensive weapons. I would give them a lot more than that. In addition, I would organize a, a naval convoys to free up the, the export of Ukrainian wheat, and that includes clearing the mines. And if Putin would scream and yell, and I'd say, if you harm the hair on the head of even one American serviceman, semen or ally engaged in this enterprise, then we will have a kinetic response. And that kinetic response would be sink everything with a Russian flag on the seas. And we're I, capable I of doing that. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean and, and by the way, I wouldn't take a phone call so that he could say I've called for negotiations. I wouldn't take that phone call until after there were no Russian flags left on the high seas. And then I'd blockade the Asian ports so the oil doesn't get out. He'd have to send it all by pipeline through China. Okay? Good job. Uh, listen, we got to change something right now, slowly but surely, giving them weapons at right. their request. Uh, of the, instead of just giving them all at once so they can set up a coherent strategy. And they're afraid to, to condemn the way we're doing it because we're their number one supplier. So they can't so cut the off meantime, their nose to spite their face. So in the meantime, 
Food prices go up because of the shortage of grain globally. We can't accept that. Oil prices go up because of the convoluted way Russian grain is, oil is getting out. But the Russians still get a good enough price, even though it's discounted, that their revenues are adequate to send people stimulus checks to get them through the problems they're having from, from our, our sanctions. So in the short term, they're winning the sanctions war. We're incurring all the pain. And the president, for God's sakes, the White House is saying that we're concerned that we're not just hurting the leaders, but we're hurting the Russian people. The Russian people are supporting him in this war. They have, they're wedded to the Peter the Great idea of empire. As a consequence, we should be hurting them. Absolutely. We should be bringing the screws down on them. These are, these are nasty people. So until they want to learn, until the Russian people, you see, I don't believe that Putin is someone superimposed on the Russian people. And they, you know, rather they have the kind of leadership they want. They're happy with this world. And so until they learn to live like civilized men and women in the world, I think we want to make them as uncomfortable as we can a convict on the run. And right. we're not doing that. You this man it. is naive. But instead he, wants to screw the, instead he wants to screw the British over something that happened in the 19th century. This is not a man that should be governing anything more than a small duchy on a mountaintop in Europe. Well, we're stuck with him. Uh, Peter Marici, an economist, business professor at the University of Maryland. Thanks so much, Peter. Take care. one 408 We're going to come back and finish up this hour. Brian Kilmeade Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. That was Ilan Omar in her district in front of a Somali audience getting booed when she said Minnesota's worse than a refugee camp. They say that that booing was related to that. My hope is they oust her. The most overrated segment in all of politics is the squat. They try to get involved in so many elections. They failed almost every single time in the primary. And yet the president of the United States keeps listening to them because Ron Klain keeps listening to them. And they don't even like this president. If I could give the president any advice. Ed, wake up every day and say, what would Joe Manchin do? Because I know you're not going to do what a Republican wants. I understand that. You're a Democrat. And do that. Do not do what Elon Omar and AOC and all the others are doing. That is pathetic. And that's how she's viewed in her own district by a Somali audience, mostly. Jerry, listen to WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. Now, Peter touched on it right at the end when you were talking to him. I'm as concerned about this, the, the phrase liberal world order is when Biden said uh, in his last one of his statements that we're going to fund and be with uh, Ukraine for as long as Russia's there. And uh, my mouth dropped open because, I mean, we're, that can be endless. Russia can be there 
forever. I mean, it's that statement was was insane. Plus, his cabinet's full of frogs and 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 fakes. His entire cabinet. Well, I'm not I'm not sure they even have any idea what they're doing. I mean, my thing is, but militarily, get all the just have one meeting. Talk. You've now seen the battlefield for five months. What do they need? Get it to them right away. What is this day by day thing? Because and the Ukrainians don't want to turn around and say, "Hey, listen, you're a number one supplier, but the way you're doing it, it's, it's just you're just getting us killed slower. Get us right away. Let us have a fair fight and let them do it because they are killing our enemy. They are exposing Russia. They are making Russia pay a price. But in terms of the oil market, why not do secondary sanctions on India and China? Because listen, as long as you deal with Russia, this outlaw nation, we can't do deals with you. In India, you hate China. China hates India. They only agree that they like Russia. Well, you're a democracy. Long term, you can never count on Russia. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. What Made America Great. Four new episodes. Check it out on Fox Nation. Don't move. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.